Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of Ohio Verse. Um, it's your two favorite hosts, your favorite short host, and your favorite old host because Greg is hacking up a lung over here, almost dying before we started. <laughs> That's very, very true, very true. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go ahead and dive right into the Ohio Verse. We're gonna go ahead and start with some Ohio State football as we always do because. That's pretty much the biggest thing here in Ohio, as of right now at least. But we're not going to talk about their play on the field. Um, they have a bye week this week, and then they really haven't played anybody meaningful the past couple of weeks. So we'll go ahead, and um, I just had a few different kinds of topics I wanted to bring up. And nothing crazy, but uh, something was brought up during the broadcast the last game that I was watching about, you know, C.J. Stroud throwing another interception this week and it being, you know, um, his third interception in three games. And I just wanted to, you know, get your opinion, Greg, on whether or not you thought that that we should be worried about this or if it's just it is what it is. Yeah, uh, it, it, both. It is what it is, and we have nothing to really worry about. Like, other than Penn State at the end of the month and Michigan at the end of the regular season, um, I don't see teams in the remaining of the Buckeye schedule who can keep him from throwing 300-plus yards completing 70% of his passes, you know, for at least 10 yards a pop and anywhere from four to six touchdowns per game. So, you know, it's not a, not a worrisome topic for me. I mean, he was what, 21 for 26 with 361 yards against Michigan state. Um, He still leads the nation in passing efficiency yards per attempt touchdowns and touchdown rate and leads by a lot. Uh, The only thing he's not really doing is, is uh, it's like, 26.7 26.7 passes per game. So he's like 79th in the nation for actually passes thrown per game. But, um, you know, dude's an assassin with the ball. So I'm not worried about it at all. Yeah. I mean, when you're, when your yards per pass is high, you don't really need as many passes. So with that explosive offense, you know, talking about somebody that we thought would be catching, you know, a lot of those balls from him during the season in, in Jackson Smith and Jibba and him missing pretty much the whole season so far. I know he played a little bit in the first game, and then I think he took a couple snaps a couple weeks prior. But other than that, we haven't really seen him. And and we've seen this wide receiving core really, like, gel together and come together. You've seen, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. just kind of take over, and, and I feel like he's kind of becoming the clear-cut number one for C.J. Stroud at this point. But, you know, when when Jackson comes back, you know, how do you – how do you think he fits into, you know, this wide receiver group that's already kind of settling into their roles? I mean, obviously his absence gave Egbuka and Harrison Jr. a chance to like fast track their development, which is really good. And I think that's honestly like the best thing for them because they still got a lot of years to play. So putting them back on the field should raise the offense to a level that I think most expected them to be coming into the season. But I think, you know, Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson also get him back into rhythm and and get to him early and often when he comes back you know obviously that left hand string obviously that left ham string injury um is something that you just can't laugh about so you know they'll get him in and they'll get him in when he's ready i think every week so far it's been like we'll see like day of type of scratches and so uh i think it'll just go right in like he, he did beginning of the season yeah, I mean, I hope he gets to come back and, and showcase a little bit because I know a lot of people pretty much had him touted as, as the best wide receiver going into uh, this draft class. So, you know, hopefully he gets out there and gets to show it. And then, you know, as the season gets deeper and we start playing better and better teams, especially, you know, if the playoffs are are, are in our future, which I think they are, 
then he'll be a big help. And I do agree. I think he'll he'll come back and he'll step into a pretty big role. I just don't know if he's – I think he'll step into that number role, but I, number one role, but I just still feel like Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be C.J. Stroud's favorite target just because they've they've built that chemistry throughout the season. And, and that doesn't mean that, you know, Jackson's not going to, you know, catch any balls, but I just think that that's not going to be C.J.'s first look all the time. So we'll see. Maybe maybe that changes over the last, like, five or six games and, and when he comes back and he's healthy. So – but let's go ahead and head up north, and we're going to tap into Greg's baseball knowledge here. And he's going to kind of, you know, answer the question that I have for the Guardians. Obviously, the Guardians made the playoffs, and a lot of people thought that they would win the division at the beginning of the season. They thought this season might be a wash. They might look a little bit more like what the Reds had, um, you know, produced this season. But they won the division. They made the playoffs. You know, they won. They won the first round. Now they're, you know, they're in with the Yankees and they lost the first game kind of in a little bit more of like a disappointing fashion. They had a chance to, um, you know, put some points on the, on the board and, or sorry, I'm like Don mad, put some runs on the board and, uh, and, you know, make that game look a little bit closer, but they, they did lose four to one. And I think they played a night at seven as we record this on, uh, on Thursday, but, you know, do you think that the Guardians can pull this, you know, series out and, and move on? Or, or do you think that the that the offensive power of the Yankees is just too much? Uh, yeah, all of that. I mean, the Yankees, you know, Garrett Cole did exactly what the New York Yankees, you know, paid him to do. The $324 million contract in 2019 is to win game one of playoff series. And he's done that three times in the last three years and is unbeaten in his postseason career against Francona, uh, you know, if it goes to five, you're going to see Garrett Cole again. So there's two wins right there that I think the Yankees have, you know, um, they just can't figure out how to beat them. I mean, and if they don't, they're, they're years over. Um, I think as a whole, the Guardians pitching staff is, is better than the, the Yankees, but they're, the offense just isn't it's just it's a mismatch you've got you know yankees with decent pitching but a high-powered offense and you've got the guardians with amazing pitching and mediocre offense and you know it just i I don't you know with aaron judge just going to the plate you know um you know i just don't see it happening this year um unfortunately that you're running into a even uh, down the stretch, they were a little um, – the Yankees were a little, I don't know, subpar. But I think moving into the playoffs, everybody healthy, uh, you're, they're going to be fine. So, Yeah, I think that was the biggest like question mark, whether or not the you know Guardians could keep up offensively. And I feel like they did a really good job defensively in, the, in that first game. I, I know there was a little mishap there that kind of led to – you know, the Yankees being able to score the majority of those runs that they had in that game. So, you know, there's those little things. It's a young team. I mean, this is a a lot, this is a valuable experience that they're going to be able to get and hopefully they can build off of that. And, you know, if if they're able to squeak it out, they're able to squeak it out. But I I do agree. I think the Yankees are are just a little bit too much offensively. And, and as, as you kind of get deeper in your rotation, they'll be able to take advantage of that, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, the, they don't really have anything to lose and they're just kind of going out there playing just to play. And, and maybe, maybe that'll uh, galvanize them to uh, win some games. I don't know. <laughs> I, I will see. I mean, they definitely 
you know, going up against Aaron Judge, even even a great, you know, pitching offense. You got Aaron Judge that's he's hitting 300 or better on every pitch he's seen at least 100 times this season. Um, he's hitting 509 uh, with a two seam and four seam fastballs, uh, like no other batter in the major leagues is even 50 points close to that. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just, just that stat alone, and that's just one player. It just, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's insane. Well, let's go ahead and stay in the same city. We're going to move over to basketball. If you guys haven't been paying attention to the NBA, they are rounding out the preseason. I believe some of the last games are or today and tomorrow, and the season will start later this week. But I kind of wanted to get our you know opinions on how we felt the first 10 games were going to go for the Cavs this season and then you know what the feeling would be surrounding them um, after those 10 games stretch. So like if Greg has them, you know, two and eight, maybe he has a feeling of like, people are like, wow, we're in panic mode. You know what I mean? Vice versa. Maybe they have, he has them eight and two and he's like, wow, we're doing really good. But just that kind of like, what do you think the first 10 games for the Cavs are going to look like? And then what do you think the fans should feel like after them? Um, I don't know, do you want me to go game by game or do you just want me to go as a whole? Cause uh, I can do both. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go game by, if you want, we can go game by game. I'm, I'm totally cool with that. Um, we can, do you want to go back and forth or you just want to give yours? Uh, well, I'll just give mine. We'll just kind of run down and then I'll then see if you agree with me on any of this. Obviously with the, the pickup of Donovan Mitchell, uh, that did a lot to their, that, uh, already kind of potent offense. And I, I think that that's going to add uh, a lot of points and a lot of assists to them. Yeah. Uh, I got him sitting at seven and three. Uh, I think that the, the game against the Raptors on the 19th of this month um, is an easy win for them. Also uh, move into the 22nd against the Bulls, uh, easy win. Wizards on the 23rd is another easy win. Then I think that uh, Orlando Magic, easy win. But I think it's the, the 28th of uh, October. The first game at Boston is going to be probably their biggest test so far in the first 10 games. Um, I just think with what Boston was able to do last year and all that offense returning, I just don't see them squeaking out a win there. I think it's going to be a real close one with that next game uh, with the New York Knicks. That could, because they, you know, they're hit or miss. They did really good down the stretch last year. And um, I worry about them, but I do have them winning that one out. But then they uh, host Boston on the 2nd of November Again, I, I don't see them moving past Boston or, you know, it, it might be a close game when it comes down to it. If they've played, you know, like, what is it, you know, a game before. Um, so they might have been able to learn a bit, but I, I just don't see them winning that. I don't see them. Uh, I see them winning against the Pistons, see them losing to the Lakers, and I see them winning at the Clippers. So seven and three, losing twice to Boston and once to the Lakers, but I could interchange Lakers and Clippers myself as far as um, I think one of those two games they're going to lose, possibly both. So you could be at six and four, um, but possibly seven and three, which match the Lakers Clippers uh, win loss ratio. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same with you. I, I, I don't think the first two games are going to be a given win. I think that the Raptors and especially the Bulls, I think the Bulls are a team that, you know, obviously they don't have Lonzo, 
but I still think that they're a team that can compete. And I think that that's going to be a difficult game for the Cavs, but I do think that they win both those first two games. I agree with you. I think the wizards are going to be an easy win. I think the magic's going to be an easy win. I do agree. They, they lose that game against the Celtics where they, where they're in Boston. Um, I think the Knicks are going to be another challenging game, like you said, but I do think that they win that game. Um, I have them losing against the Celtics again, um, this time when the Celtics come to Cleveland. It's not that I don't think the Cavs will ever be able to beat the Celtics this season, but I just think in the first two games, you're trying to gel the Celtics. You know, they're basically the same team and they've added some good pieces. So I I think that that they're going to be a little bit farther along in, in their development as a team. Um, and then I think the you know, the Cavs are without Evan Mobley for, I don't know how long. So it just depends on if he's able to come back at that point. Um, I think the Pistons are an easy lock. I think they beat the Lakers pretty easy. I, I have no faith in the Lakers for the first 20 games. I think it's going to be a complete disaster with whatever they've put together. And then I think that they'll end up switching things up. So I think the Lakers are, are not going to be a good team for the, and it's not LeBron or AD's fault. I just think that they're just, you I don't know. It's there's five guys that play on the court. So two guys can't be the only guys that are good. <laughs> so I think the Cavs win that pretty easily. And then I think that their third loss, I agree with you. I think they're going to go seven and three. I think their third loss comes to the Clippers. I think that the Clippers are much improved. Um, as a basketball fan, I'm super excited to see John Wall play again and play at a high level. He's been, you know, really impressing in the preseason. And Kawhi looks bigger, stronger, faster than he ever has. And Paul George looks determined. So those those three together, um, on a re, on kind of like a what well, I can't even think of the word, but they're they're out for vengeance. They're out for blood. And I think that those guys are going to be dangerous this year. So I do think the Cavs drop that game, and I do think that they could the Cavs could beat them um, in the in you know throughout the rest of the season if they played again. But I just think in the first ten games, I think that that they're going to be the clip. Ah, wow. I think the Clippers are going to be clicking. (laughs) Say that five times fast. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I I agree. I think seven and three. And I think that the attitude for the fans and, and should be positive. Like, I don't think that we should sit here and be like, wow, we're a championship or bust team. But I do think that we should expect them to be above 500 and make the playoffs. I think that that's where we should be. Um, and I think starting seven and three is a great start because then when you look at, you know, the next couple games, you have, you know, the Warriors, Timberwolves, Bucks and Heat, you know, in the next like six games after that. So that's going to be a tough like six game stretch after that. So I think that starting seven and three will be good. Get some good team chemistry, you know, and then get into the the grind of the season and, and kind of move forward. So that's kind of where I, I think we're about in the same spot. I just think that with with the addition of Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan Mitchell. I don't want to say it like every time <laughs> with the addition of Donovan Mitchell. Uh, there's a certain expectation that I think that fans are going to have that is mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more or higher grade than, than what team expectations could be. Um, so you just, with, with that big of a, a net of a player, um, it just, it, it's going to put the expectations for the fans um, much higher than I think not adding that piece uh, this year would have been. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the general fan is going to be like, yo, we have to win a championship this year, but you know, I think this team is young. There's a really young core. Like they have really good team friendly contracts on the books right now. So I don't know. I mean, you're, I, I think 
I think with the starting five that they're going to have when Mobley comes back healthy and, you know, Kevin Love coming off the bench, Karis LeVert coming off the bench, Ricky Rubio coming off the bench. Like, I just think that this is going to be a really solid team um, deep into the season. And they'll be able to, even if they're dealing with some injuries, they'll be able to still be productive because they have a lot of guys that they can turn to in situations. So, but yeah, well, we will look back on this um, after the first 10 games and see how right we were or how wrong we were. And maybe we undersold them. Maybe they go 10 and 0. Maybe we were too hopeful <laughs> and they are, you know, 0 and 10. But I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, we'll, we'll kind of we'll come back and uh, and see how see how right or wrong we were. <laughs> the only like caveat I'll, I'll say to that is possibly with Boston is that the off the court issues going on with the coach uh, mm-hmm. could could possibly affect, you know, team chemistry and you know, obviously leadership is everything. And, and you know, so that could, but you be- know, you know, what's crazy though. And I don't know if it was a PR thing and I'm not like a huge Boston Celtics fan. So obviously I haven't been like crazy in depth on the situation, but you know, you didn't really see any players from the Celtics kind of like not come to his defense, but like, say anything about it you know what i mean so like i'm wondering if they didn't like him like if they kind of saw what was going on beforehand and they just didn't they didn't like it they didn't view it as appropriate and maybe they're okay with him leaving and and they're definitely okay with who's coaching them at this point now you know what i mean like and that that might be something you know we kind of saw that with you know john gruden in las vegas when they got rid of him after you know all that stuff came out and the raiders played better you know, they were clicking better. They were, you know, just playing above where everybody thought they were going to. And maybe that's the situation that we see in Boston where, you know, they added some good pieces and maybe they, maybe they just gel better. I don't know. Definitely interesting. We'll have to see and watch it. But uh, moving into our last thing, we're going to talk about the crew. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed as a crew fan. I don't know if you guys are as well too, but we did miss out on the playoffs by one game because we uh we lost the last game of the season and basically the next day after they fired, you know, head coach Caleb Porter. So first, Greg, you know, how should we, you know, how should we as, you know, Ohio sports fans, as crew fans feel about this loss and, and missing the playoffs this year? I know we've talked about it a bunch and this team a bunch this year, but you know, I guess now that everything is done, how should we truly feel about this past season? I mean, I'd be disappointed. It's it's not that we lost. It's it's how the crew lost. Um, just you know, missing the playoffs at the last minute, kind of just you know, that's just it's just a crappy way to go out. You know, two um, one to the Orlando City that you know we were up uh, one nothing you know at halftime, and then to come back and lose two uh, one at the end just makes you know. Makes for a sour feeling in the stomach. Um, obviously, you know, the crew won the cup in 2020 and, and Porter did a great job with that, but he, he failed to lead them to the playoffs the last two seasons. Um, so when your team is, what, uh, only lost eight games this year, you're like, yay, but then, you know, that's the second fewest of any MLS team, but then they only won 10 games with a league leading 16 draws, finishing 46 points in the eighth place. It just kind of, you know, there's no finish for the team. And, um, you know, replacing the coach could be, uh, you know, 
what needs to happen. Um, you know, it's a group that leads the, uh, it's leading the team in the culture of, of on and off the field. But it's much easier to replace a coach than it is to sign 11 new players. So there's no guarantee that, you know, coaching change alone is going to solve that problem. Um, but they have a whole bunch of question marks on their roster. Uh, NTN out of contract. Uh, Menish and Santos and Atur are on their option years. Um, so I'd be disappointed and I, I kind of don't know what your future is going to hold for the crew when it comes to who's actually going to play. Um, there's a big, big question mark. Well, one good thing is that with, I think my personal opinion that the crew's head coaching vacancy is probably going to be the, unless something crazy else happens, you know, across the league, it's going to be the most enticing position out there right now. And that could lead to netting a very, very good coach. And, and from what they've said that they're, uh, the crew uh, general manager has uh, said that they're throwing their net out wide for this uh, replacement search. So it's going to be interesting to see who kind of lands in that net. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the, even, even with those guys in their option years and, and some of those guys, you know, on the, the, with this year being the last year, their deals, they'll probably bring a lot of those guys back and, and they'll pay them. I mean, you have an owner that's willing to spend money. I mean, we saw him spend $10 million to bring, you know, Cucho over, and I think that that's something that's super, super important when, you know, managers are looking for a team to be a part of. And this is a great environment. And like you said, I think it's very enticing, you know, and, and, and talking about Caleb Porter, I mean, he's like literally the, the definition of mediocrity when it comes to coaches. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but, you know, obviously we won, we won the championship in 2020. Um, but you, when you take his Portland record out of everything, you just take the Columbus crew record. He was 45 wins, 38 losses and 42, sorry, 38 ties and 42 losses. So like, it's just not, not enough, not enough in the win column, not enough points, you know, put on the board. I think his like with the crew, his average, like, you know, the, the team scored like an average of like 1.3 points a game, but also let up an average of one point, you know, three something points a game. So like right in that, like you said, 16 ties this season, 10 wins, eight losses. So they play, you know, they're not a bad team. They just weren't able to score more than other teams. And a lot of times we had a ton of zero, zero draws. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely something that sucks. I mean, He's one of those guys that that I heard that he's known more as like like he's able to galvanize a group of guys that are down. He's able to galvanize like a, a young group of guys, but once once he gets them there, once he like shows the success, then it's it's always been hard for him to continue to motivate them somehow, which is so weird. I don't know how that works out, but I don't know. I mean, he won us a championship. I guess like that's what gave him so much leeway over the past couple of years. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I don't know. Am I being too harsh by saying he's kind of like the definition of mediocrity when, you know what I mean? Like, was that, is that harsh or do you think that's fair? No, I think it, like, it's completely fair. I mean, I, I, you beat me to expounding on his, his uh, record, uh, you know, of, of wins and losses and, and draws. It's, it's just not, a winning record it's just hmm. it is mediocrity and it is it is that you know you look at some other coaches and their their win to loss ratios and draws um you know either 
they get fired and he's right down the middle. So, you know, it's like he didn't have a, you know, absorbing amount of losses versus wins. Um, but it's just, it's like I said, right down the middle and, and that doesn't necessarily continue to win championships. Um, I mean, it's like, it's like with the, the Bengals when they, uh, was it Hugh, Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackson or whatever. Um, when they had him for 20 years, pretty much. And like, he, like they weren't winning a ton of games. They weren't making the playoffs all the time, but they were always like in contention. You know what I mean? I feel like that's, that's kind of like what Caleb Porter was. Like he was just, he was just barely staying in contention for the playoffs and he was barely staying in contention for being competitive. Like that just, it just felt like that's what we were watching as crew fans. And was just so weird because like, you know, we, we've had guys like Zellerayon who, you know, is an MLS all-star who, you know, helped us win, you know, a championship. You talk about bringing over Cucho Hernandez, who it should be just a pure goal scorer. And, and the list goes on and on. And, and, in his in his four years that he was here, he just wasn't able to do enough with it. And it just like it's so crazy because you know, I don't want to say that we expect to make the playoffs every year, but I don't know. As as fans, we fought so hard to keep the team here because we know that they can be successful. I think that's the big thing. And when they're not, it's just like I don't know, super disappointing. Well, the, the one thing I will say to that is that the crew will uh, it'll they'll never go anywhere again. I mean, this is you know, keeping them here and how much the city and the fans fell in love with it and galvanized behind each other to to keep them here. Uh, I, I don't think we'll ever have to worry about that again. So that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the only way that they're leaving is if the MLS disbands. So, I mean, like, and I don't see that happening. No. So it's too much money on the table for that. So, yeah. But if you guys have opinion on who you think the next, you know, manager slash head coach of the Columbus crew should be, let us know. That's definitely something. And then let us know what you feel about the uh, Cavs first 10 games. And if you think they're they're going to have a, a successful first 10 games, or maybe you're a little bit, you know, more reserved on it. You think they will be a little bit more 500, whatever you think that might be. Um, yeah. Well, let's go ahead and go into our double take segment um, that we've kind of turned into our one take segment <laughs> still well, have you know, I was thinking about that and if, if you say one thing and I say one thing isn't that a double take so it still holds true yeah I guess technically so we say because it would be a quadruple take if both of us were sharing two things so yeah. sharing one each is a double take so. okay okay you know what I love the logic I love the logic there you go <laughs> You can tell that we did not work this out beforehand. (laughs) Well, I thought about that last night. I was like, well, it is a double take because it's it's we're both sharing things. So cool. Well, we're going to go into our double take segment where we each say share one thing, which turns out to be two things there. Boom. Double take Greg for the win. All right, Greg, what's your one thing? Can I mail my baby to you? (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) She's two years old, and I think with enough postage, I could possibly mail her to you. This is like a real thing. Did somebody mail a baby somewhere? Did you know that between 1913 and 1915, at least seven children were shipped in the mail in the United States? And the first instance of this weird act was recorded uh, by the Beagles, a couple from Ohio. After paying for the postage stamps and insurance money, they handed their eight-month 
old infant son to the mailman to be delivered to the grandmother's place, which is just a mile down the road. The news broke and other parents started using the cheap service of mail to uh, send their kids. A six-year-old girl was even sent from her home in Florida to her father's house in Virginia. Uh, so that all started in Ohio. Alrighty. <laughs> I told you everything. My my stuff is going to be Ohio based. So I just I, I looked at a few other things and I thought that that is amazing. That's I cannot believe people mailed their kids places. Like you you said you said like the first time was like down the street. Yeah, it was like less than a mile away. So. See that that to me would be like that's like a funny thing. Like you catch the mailman and you're like, hey like my kid wants to mail themselves and they're like, okay, we'll drop them off down the street. And you're like, okay, but to mail somebody from Florida to Virginia, uh, how I don't even understand like the logistics of that. And then I, that's insane. Just drive them there. I don't, I mean, obviously it only happened for a couple of years before the, you know, the mail service decided that that was uh, possibly an inappropriate act, but uh, you know, Ohio, just just a little bit appropriate. (laughs) Ohio for the win. Oh my gosh. That's pretty crazy. Uh, Mine is not as like insane as that, but if you're not, then I won't even, I won't even do this and we'll just end the show here and I won't have a thing and that's fine. But how like, how into like animated Disney movies are you? I mean, I've got a 15 year old and I've got a two year old who two year olds, not quite into him yet, but you know, the 15 year old was for the most part and she, she's lost uh, some of her interest in it, but uh, we, I've watched my fair share. Okay. Okay. So the other day on two minute drill, because Ashley and I, Ashley, my wife, everybody listening, um, we were sitting up there having a debate about like what the top 10 animated Disney movies were of like all time, pretty much. Um, and like we were putting together a list and I, I kind of, you know, gave the guys my list and, and asked for their opinion and stuff like that. And I just kind of want to get your opinion on it and see if maybe I'm like way far off or you think I'm pretty accurate. Um, if you're cool with that. Just go ahead. Alrighty. So at number one, I got the little mermaid. At number two, I got Beauty and the Beast. Number three, I got Mulan. At number four, I got the Hunchback of Notre Dame. At number five, I got the first Cars movie. At number six, I have Aladdin. At number seven, I have Wally. At number eight, I have The Emperor's New Groove, the first one. And then at number nine, I have Hercules. And at number 10, I have Monsters Inc. Some that I left out were like The Incredibles, Up, Finding Nemo, Lilo and Stitch, Tarzan, Toy Story, Lion King. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you in- incorporated Pixar into that because that... Yeah, sorry. Disney and Pixar because Disney owns Pixar, yeah. Yeah, so that's this. Um, no, you're completely off the base. It's uh, <laughs> you know, it's an outrageous list, and I disagree with you wholeheartedly on pretty much everything. Really? Um, Are you being serious or joking with me? Right oh now? no, completely serious. That's, oh, that's garbage. <laughs> I mean, that's a garbage list. Obviously, when it comes down to it, it really is about uh, you know, age and what we've experienced. Um, you know, I was an early caveat to this. So right when VHS came out, you know, yes, I'm that old. I, you know, I was around when VHS came out. Um, but stuff like Fantasia is just nothing changed when okay. um, 
you know, I'm, I'm talking about, and we've talked about this on a lot of different aspects of, of, you know, even when we talk about sports, like players that change the game, you know, mm-hmm. LeBron changed the game, you know, Jordan changed the game. Um, so, you know, you can incorporate that into movies as well. You know, movies that, that changed how people thought and, and to be something like Fantasia, you know, when that came out, just, was monumental blew people away people could not even understand it toy story completely changed the game there was it was just not even you know close to what that that movie was able to do um when it comes to you know what it did for the franchise what it did for you know those businesses and disney and pixar you know and then i get more with like i'm a you know i'm irish in descent so a movie like brave to me is is very you know important um i think up and uh, wally wally especially was was fantastic because it showed, i had i had wally in my top 10 i, I know i know but you know but wally kind of showed that you could honestly have a a movie with minimal dialogue still mm-hmm. do fantastic um so yeah, for the most part, your your list is garbage uh, when it comes down to, you know. I mean, listen, I so, there are I, so many early ones that you completely, uh, you know. I'll even say Steamboat Willie. You know what I mean? That's Disney or that's the first Disney movie ever. It was number one. But that doesn't make it the best. What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. What? But it changed the game. That's like that's like saying the first player ever drafted the NBA is the best player of all time, like. LeBron would destroy that person. Listen, it's, I I can co- I can concede that I probably dropped the ball on Fantasia. That's on me. I didn't honestly didn't even cross my mind, and that could be like like you said, maybe the age gap thing. Um, you know that I definitely probably would would add that to to my list somewhere because I kind of have a list of like the top you know uh, fifteen or whatever movies. Um, but that definitely would probably make my list. That's my bad on dropping that one. The reason Toy Story is not in my top 10 is just because like, I love Toy Story. Like it's, it's high on my list, um, but it's just right outside the top 10. I just feel like for what the other movies were able to do and, and for how memorable and um, for me, I guess, personally. And then I just think quality wise, like I, I love Toy Story. Like it'll always be something that I, you know, I loved watching it as a kid. But I just think it was it was just missing something that the other movies had. I don't know why, but that just to me, like when I was making the list, I just kind of felt like it was just missing something. I don't know. It's all personal preference. It's like me yeah. saying, you know, I like Dom DiMaggio versus Joe DiMaggio just because I met Dom DiMaggio once. I mean, I did. I did. <laughs> but I'm just saying that, you know, you know, the, the, it's quality over quantity. And, and that's where it comes down to on me. But you know, it's all personal preference. I'm I'm not mad at you. I'm a little disappointed, but I'm not. You don't mad. you don't like? I mean, the I I put a lot of like like '90s Disney animated movies on there with the Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Mulan, Hunchback, Aladdin. You know what I mean? Like those Hercules. Like those are a lot of like. But there was 50 years worth of animated movies before that. So you you just completely negated you know the history. You know, at least throw one of those in there. Peter Pan or you know something like that. I don't know I just I feel like to me I feel like the the like the late 80s to like early 2000s animated Disney movies. Lady and the Tramp. You're just just, 
Just yeah, but I still I don't think I don't think Lady and the Tramp is better than like I like Lady and the Tramp, but I just don't think it's better than the top ten or top fifteen that I had. Like it's a good movie. Like I would I watch it. I watch it again. But you know what I mean? Like I just don't think like I think like like I said the the like the late eighties to early two thousands animated Disney movies. I think those are some of the best quality that we've gotten. Only because when you talk about the technology that was around at that time, the technology that was developing, the writing the storylines, the music that's in all the movies, you know what I mean? I just think that like that we got a a huge run on really good quality animated movies during that time. And yes, I mean, we could look back and and look at some of the, you know, the stuff that, that started it, that put it forward. Like I can say, I can concede that Fantasia was probably definitely a miss on my part. Um, But I don't know. I just, I just feel like you're getting on your list. (laughs) I don't know. Like I said, I, we had we had a whole debate about it, but I mean, I don't know. And, Let's do maybe a, a top ten sports movies, and and then we can we could you know, <laughs> see how you evaluate that. You know, listen, like, we all, we all know what the best sports movie of all time is. It, it's not even a competition, so I don't even know why we do it. I mean, Rudy, it's okay. Rudy. All right, never mind. <laughs> it's, it's Remember Rudy. the Titans? It's what? a good movie, but Rudy is. How is Rudy the best? It was beforehand. Listen, Rudy, Rudy for me is probably like number two. Like I love Rudy, but remember the Titans is probably the have best. Have you ever seen Brian's song? No, you haven't. So go <laughs> go watch Brian's song. See how you feel after that. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll just start our own movie debate podcast. All right. <laughs> Coming up next week. Coming up right. <laughs> Screw the sports stuff. We're moving on to movies. All right, guys. <laughs> Alrighty, well that pretty much does it. Listen, if if you agree with Greg and you think my list was uh, complete garbo or um, you think it was pretty close, let me know. If you want me to put my full comprehensive like top 16, 17, you know, animated list for you, or if you want me to go through all of them and rank them all, I'll do that because I love doing stupid stuff like that all the time. So <laughs> we did one segment on another episode where we were ranking the best quarterbacks in the league. And I literally did the top 70 something quarterbacks in the league. So I get a little, uh, a little intense sometimes, but anyway, that was, uh, that was our episode. So thanks for listening guys. As always, Greg and I are going to be here every other week on Ohio verse talking about the amazing athletics that go on within Ohio uh, definitely check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, get on Facebook. You can rate us now on Facebook. So give us a one star if you think we're garbage. Give us five stars if you love us. Give us three stars and leave us a review if you actually want to help us get better and grow. So we thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast. And as always, I am Nick. This was Ohioverse presented by Deep Dive Sports. And uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to another episode of Ohioverse. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show and sporting news in Ohio, go ahead and follow Ohioverse Podcast DDS on Instagram. Also, don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and listen to any of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you. And catch you on the next one. Thank you.